Well, good morning and happy new year. Welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today, we are looking at what seems on the surface to be kind of a comical story. It's the story of Mary and Joseph and how they forgot Jesus in Jerusalem as they continue back to their home in Nazareth. I'd like to invite you today to follow along with us as we examine Luke's conclusion to our introduction into Jesus' life and discover the truth of what happens to our priorities when we enter into a new family as those adopted into the family of God. Thanks for listening. When I was in third grade, the, uh, the thing that w- was most fun for uh, myself and the, the boys my age was playing marbles at recess. As I'm thinking about this illustration, I'm thinking, I must be old. Uh, playing with marbles. Didn't they do that in like the Middle Ages? Uh, this was before the time of tablets, but in third grade, that's what you looked forward to. I mean, you, you, you hurried through the math test, you paid no attention in English, but you played marbles at recess. And you, uh, you looked to find new ones and trade ones with your friends, which for me was always the funnest part. I always really enjoyed seeing if I could uh, get the, the coolest ones or, the, or steelies. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Steelies? Yeah, those were the best. And uh, there, there were one or two marbles that were always my favorite. You know, you could trade sometimes three for one, four for one, you know, depending upon how much they meant to you. But there were some I never traded. There were some that were always in my bag that nobody could ever get. And, you know, the other boys would ooh and ah over them. And, you know, I probably should have paid better attention in English or math, you know, but I wasn't. This is, this is what occupied my time and my attention. And, as I thought of this illustration, it made me think that, you know what, things don't change too much as you get older, and this has a, a meaning and a metaphor for what it means to be a Christian as well. Uh, even in the same way that there were things I would not trade for certain marbles, it causes me to think, is there anything that I would trade for Christ? Is there anything that's more valuable to me than Jesus Christ? You know, we don't usually worry about this question. We don't usually have to even challenge ourselves to answer it, and I think there's a danger in that. Uh, there, there comes with a complacency of our faith, a lack of appreciation, a lack of value. You know, there are Christians today, in our world today, that have to sacrifice everything for their faith. They tend not to live in America. They tend to live over in the Middle East, in countries where being a Christian is outlawed. Such that if you claim the name of Jesus Christ, if you get baptized, well, you have to lose your whole family. In fact, you're an outcast to them. They'll shun you. They'll say it's like you've never been born. It may cost you possessions. It may cost you land. It may cost you position. It may cost you your job. You know, the, the way that God's blessed us in this country means that we very seldom have to think about that or answer that question. So I'd like to pose it to you today. Is there anything you would trade for Jesus? Well, what if it meant persecution? Uh, in the early church, they suffered. Uh, routinely, as we study through the historical account, we see that the very first Christians were locked up. They were thrown in jail. I don't know how many times it would take for me or you, but how many trips to jail would it take before you said, you know what, maybe I'll try something else. And Jesus might not mean quite as much to me as I thought he did. Persecution, freedom, possessions. What would you trade for Jesus? How important is he in your life? What if it cost you, what if it cost you your home? 
What if it costs you your vehicle, your possessions? What if it costs you your family? It's a tough question, isn't it? We're, we're going to seek to answer the question today as to what is most valuable. Our reading that Lois led us to in the uh, book of Philippians, Paul says, I consider all things loss compared to Christ. Whatever, he says, whatever was to my profit, it's worthless to me. It's worthless compared to Jesus Christ. Uh, this sermon I'm entitling, Give Me Jesus. And uh, I, I want to challenge us to answer the question, what is the most important thing to you? What is the most important thing to you? Now, it's, it's going to do you no good to just come listen to me today. All right? It's going to do you no good. All right? You've got to interact with this. Uh, I got sermon notes in your bulletin, and there's a big blank spot there. I'd like you to try to list out the things that are most important to you. See, I'm, I'm pretty sure family is going to come at the top of most people's lists. Um, but you get, interact with this. Get some of this written down that you would engage uh, with what God would be teaching us today through His Word. We're going to continue in the Gospel of Luke. I invite you to turn there with me in your Bibles now. Uh, we're traveling through uh, Luke's record of uh, the life of Christ, and we have finished... Um, for the most part, uh, the conclusion of, of the birth narrative as Jesus enters into this world and the circumstances around it. And now we find uh, in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 41, this final section. Uh, as Jesus is found in the temple, apart from where his family thought he was. So... Uh, with that in mind, uh, I'd like to ask you to follow along with me as we read Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 41. Every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. As we finish up chapter 2 and continuing through Luke's gospel, I'd like to begin this morning just with a little bit of background that we kind of understand where we're at. Uh, the first thing I want you to see is that as Luke has been writing this gospel, he's been doing it so that you will know that which you've been taught. If you can recall back to chapter 1, that's the purpose of his gospel. Uh, the, the church exists already at this time. 
Uh, Luke, as a historian, is interviewing those and he's trying to gather all of the material together so that the Christians have a confidence for what they've been taught. Uh, He's talking about the life of Jesus and uh, the start of his ministry. Uh, As we reach the end of chapter 2, we're reaching the end of the first section of Luke. This is the the end of the first section. And I want you to see that if you look back in chapter 1, you'll see some concluding statements that get repeated. The very end of chapter 1, look what he says in verse 80. And the child, what's it say? grew and became strong in spirit. Uh, Fast forward into chapter 2 and look in verse 40. And what's that say? And the child, what? Grew and became strong. And now look at the very end of our passage here. Verse 52 says, and Jesus, what? Grew. And uh, grew in wisdom and in stature. So now what that shows us is that Luke is recording almost like a movie director these scenes in Jesus' life each one culminating with this kind of concluding statement, and he grew and he grew and he grew. So this is the last one that we find, which shows us this is the end of um, this section in terms of Luke's introduction uh, to Jesus. Uh, We also have something hinted to that you have to pay attention to in terms of uh, Jesus' family. Uh, What do you think the influences your family makes in your life? What do you think the influence of of a... father and a mother making the life of a child? What do you think the influence is as to a husband and wife and how they relate to one another in the life of a child? Well, Jesus was influenced. Now we can see hints of the devotion of Mary and Joseph that really go beyond what you'd find in most families in the first century. Uh, For example, it says here in verse 41, uh, every year his parents went up to Jerusalem to the Feast of Passover. Now if you were Jewish, you were uh, required to go to Jerusalem at least once a year for, uh, there, were, there were three festivals, uh, Pentecost, Passover, and the Feast of Tabernacles, and you were supposed to go to all three, but you, know, you could just go to one at a time, uh, or one out of the year. And here we find that Mary and Joseph, every year, diligently, they make their pilgrimage from Nazareth. You might recall that it's quite a trip from Nazareth. So this is a lot different than it was today. You don't just get on Expedia.com and book your tickets. You have to pack and plan and feed the animals and and go on this long trip, this long journey. Many times they did this as families. Extended families would all travel together as there's more safety and ease found in numbers. But you can see the devotion of Jesus' parents. How easy is it to skip church? Come on, be honest. You're in church now. How easy is it to just, oh, I'm tired today, right? Yeah. It happens. Happens to me. Um, Your commitment to God, it's not necessarily seen by your attendance to church. But there's a difference between someone that just grows up in church and that's why I'm a Christian versus I'm a Christian and that's why I go to church. You can see the devotion here evidenced in Luke's gospel for the parents of Jesus, that they came uh, to the festivals. Not only that, but you'll notice this in verse 42. Uh, when he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. Sorry, verse 43. After the feast was over. Uh, we, we just read by that, but what you don't understand is that if, and this is Jewish custom, if you lived far away, uh, they, they would stay for one or two days. They wouldn't stay for the whole feast. 
right? They'll come for the first part, but then, you know, we got, you know, it's getting late. We got a long trip. Uh, we got to go. Sometimes that's like what it's like visiting family over the holidays, right? It's getting late. We got to get going. Um, and that generally is the same thing that happened back then, but not so with Mary and Joseph. Look at what it says. It says when the feast was over. So they stayed the entire time. Again, you get a hint to the devotion uh, of their family. It takes a, a, a long uh, or it takes a level of commitment uh, for them to stay longer. A few other things that I'd like to draw your attention to in this passage. Uh, verse 43 and 44. Uh, it kind of make me smile a little bit. They lost Jesus. I, I think when Mary, and I think that Luke was interviewing Mary very likely because we get a lot of insight into what Mary thinks. Uh, so it's probably that Luke was interviewing her. I, I wonder if she might have want to left out that story. You know, like a, like a journalist will press the person, you know, tell me about that one time that uh, you lost Jesus. Do you remember that? Yeah, tell me about that. Um, <clears throat> Look, that's easy to do. Anybody who has a nine-year-old understands that kids are hard to find sometimes. Any amens from the church on that? Yeah. Yeah, it was a couple months ago. Um, I'm driving back from church because my wife and I uh, drive separately. And I called her. <clears throat> it must have been, I'm almost back to US2. And we're talking about what we're going to have for lunch. And I asked her uh, something in regards to Micah. And she said, I don't have Micah. And I didn't have Micah. <laughs> we left Micah up at church. <laughs> I wish I could say I handled that situation a little bit better, but having to turn the truck around and drive all the way back, and sure enough, uh, Marlis and Rudy were still right here, and, and there's my poor boy. So look, it's give Mary and Joseph a little bit of a break, all right? This, it's, it's easy to do. Uh, I don't suspect Jesus maybe was quite as rowdy as my boy, but um, instead we find that in verse 46, he has a different priority. He, he has something that he sees as greater. Uh, and it's something that his parents didn't see. Something they didn't recognize. Look what 46 says. After three days, they found him. Not, not playing marbles. Right? Not shooting, uh, uh, shooting buckets with his buddy. It's probably where I would be. But he's in the temple courts. Twelve years old. He's in the temple courts. Three things, three verbs are mentioned here. Look at what your Bible says. Uh, sitting among the teachers. So if you were in the temple courts, you usually would, um, you usually have some distance between you and the rabbi. Unless you were a follower, a disciple of a particular rabbi. And then you would be listening to everything the rabbi said because you would be carrying that same teaching. You'd be integrating it into your life and such that a disciple sits right with the teachers. And that's where they find them. Not only sitting there, but look at the other verb. What's he doing? He's listening. And Jesus is learning. Jesus is paying attention. Jesus is trying to understand how they interpret the law, how they understand God, how the culture that he is born into worships God. And then thirdly, he is asking them questions. Uh, this concept of asking questions can be seen in two ways. Two ways. It could be seen as asking questions because I'm curious, because I don't know, or it could be seen asking questions to find out what you know. I, I think it's the second one. I think that Jesus was asking them questions, really trying to probe and find out what they believed. 
part of me thinks that not just because he's God and he's my savior, but because of the next verse. Look what it says. Verse 47. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. So you're giving answers if they're questioning you. Uh, It makes you really look at this passage and think, who really is the teacher in this case? Now, certainly we recognize because the text tells us Jesus is learning. However, we have to pay attention to what's going to happen later in the gospel. These same religious leaders are the exact same ones who 20 some years later are going to be saying, you know, crucify him, crucify him. And and this guy's a rabble maker and a troublemaker and a rebel. So I believe that at this moment, as he's sitting here with them, there's more going on than just Jesus's curiosity. I think he's really coming to see the nature of who who the Jewish people have seen God to be and the difference of what that worship looks like versus what it should look like. Verse 48, we have Mary's response. uh, Why have you treated this way? We've been searching for you. And I want you to see how Jesus answers. Why were you searching for me? Now, he's not asking this in a question of love. Like, uh, if you lose something, you search for it, right? I uh, lost the remote the other day. (laughs) Tore the couch apart, let me tell you. Yeah, why? Because I I was looking for it and needed to find it. Um, That's not why he's asking. Uh, What what he means instead is, why were you searching for me? Means you should have known where to look. That's what he means. Uh, Jesus understands that, you know, his parents love him and want to find him. But his questioning here is uh, really a questioning around, uh, don't don't you know where to, you shouldn't have to search. You should be able to go right to it. Look at his second half of his, his response. Didn't you know? I had to be in my father's house. Uh, You'll find uh, commentators and uh, preachers, they'll have some uh, discussion over what that means. What does he mean by being in my father's house? Uh, Some interpretations say that it means that he had to be with the Jewish leadership. That's what he meant uh, by being uh, in his father's house, specific to the temple. Other people uh, think it means as translated by the King James. And if you're familiar with it, he says, I must be about my father's business. We've all kind of heard it read that way. Uh, Unfortunately, that's not a super accurate translation. Um, Ultimately, it might lead us to the wrong conclusion as well. Uh, For if that's what Jesus meant, I had to be my father's house, meaning I need to be about my uh, father's work, uh, we might ask the question, why does that mean you have to be at the temple then? Is it not possible for you to be about your father's work everywhere? Is that not the calling given to Uh, given to Israel and given to the apostles as you go make disciples you don't have to you get what I'm saying here you don't need to come to church to be about God's work you don't need to be at the temple to be about God's work Um, other people think that it means uh, that Jesus was making a comment about his his mission on earth right I need to be in my father's house because he's connecting himself with the father Um, there may be truth in all three of those, but here's what I believe it means. I believe Jesus is saying that he wasn't really lost at all. He was never lost to begin with. Didn't you know I was in my house? I was in my father's house. I was was right where I belong. I was right where I should have been. I think that his answer really is more of a, a offering of comfort to his parents and an identifying 
for who he is. There's a problem, though. The problem is their response. Look at what they say next, verse 50. But they did not understand. They didn't understand what he was saying to them. Here we have the parents of the Messiah, and they themselves haven't connected the dots. Even with the messages from the angels, even with all that they see with this child growing up, they still haven't connected the dots. Uh, We know this to be true because Luke records for us that Mary treasures all these things in her hearts. And the last thing I want to show you before we look at some uh, conclusions. In verse 51 it says, Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. I I, I want to make sure we point that out because I don't want you thinking Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem because he was disobedient. That wasn't what was happening. You know when you tell your kids, hey, we're leaving, we're leaving, and it takes, you know, 30 more minutes to find their shoes and match their socks. Anyone else with me on this? Yeah. Uh, That wasn't the case. It wasn't that they uh, had told Jesus, hey, get your shoes on, we're going, and Jesus was like, no, I'm going to, I'm, that's a bad impression of Jesus, but... That's why, because that's not what Jesus was like. That wasn't what was happening. Jesus was obedient to his parents. The problem was, he was where he should be, and they're the ones who left. They overlooked him. Uh, it's very likely that within the caravan of family that was, that was coming, that, uh, you know what it's like when it's around family, right? Who has this child and that child? There was a movie that came out when I was a kid called Home Alone. Does anyone remember that movie? Yeah. Uh, the, the little boy gets overlooked, right? And uh, it can happen. Very likely that was the case. It was not that Jesus was disobedient. Um, don't take it from my word. It shows up right here because by this point, they're, they're keeping their eye on this kid now. And it says that he's obedient to them. Jesus doesn't resist his parents. However, he does recognize that beyond his earthly father and mother, he has a heavenly father. That he belongs to a different family few points of conclusion just as we look at what's going on here the first is this life can draw you away from jesus life can draw you away <clears throat> hey look we got to get on the road all right uh we the feast is over Let, let's let's get going who's you got ready who packed the bags and all right let's go and we're, we're on our way and they forgot jesus what about you does life ever draw you away for this, from the simplicity of worshiping God. I, I think that I'm probably hitting on a, an active nerve here, especially around the holiday season, because uh, raise your hands if it's been busy for you. Raise your hands if it's been a little bit hectic, crazy. Yeah, that, that's, how, that's how it tends to go. And do you know what happens? Do you know what happens when life hits you like that? You could, you could lose Jesus. I don't mean lose your salvation, but I I mean lose that closeness, that nearness, that fellowship that we enjoy with him. There's another story later on in the Gospels about two women, Mary and Martha. You know the story, right? And Jesus shows up. And one of them has got to clean the floors and we got to get the dishes put away. And Martha's busy, busy, busy. And Mary recognizes that worship and the nearness and the closeness and the simplicity of being with Jesus is what matters more than anything. But Martha is concerned with life because what does life do? It can draw us away and it occupies our attention. Even the song that the choir sang this morning about the new year says this, uh, should he come 
uh, ere this new year is through. So yeah, 2018 is, is here. But what if Jesus comes before the year ends? Uh, this second verse says this. Would he find us too busy with worldly pursuits? What's, what's the most important thing in your life? What is the most important thing? Well, we got to get there by eight. We got to go now. Being on time, being prepared, having it clean. What's the most important thing? Because that will determine the place that Jesus takes when life hits you. So that's the first thing I want you to see. That's what we can identify from this text. The second conclusion is this. If you've lost Jesus, go back to where you found him before. If for you, uh, the holiday season or whatever it might be in your life, that, that the distraction of life has just drawn you away from God, where do you find him? Go back to where you found him before. Now, hopefully, in, in each of your lives, you have got a component of private, personal devotion with God. Does everybody know what I mean by that? If you don't know what I mean, it's this. Church ain't enough. Say that. Church ain't enough. All right? You need to be in communion with God seven days a week. All right? Church is not enough. One hour, one day a week is not going to cut it. So personal, private devotion is something that I expect in the life of the believer. If that's true for you, sometimes... Life could just overwhelm you. So where do you find Jesus? Go back to where you find him in your private devotion. I'll tell you in my life and where I think it should be at the top of your list is in his word. That's the first place that you should look. Um, But I know close second is out in nature. I don't know how you guys uh, get with that. But a a walk on a lonely road or a a sunset or sitting quietly next to a lake. Sometimes those moments of stillness more than anything. Especially when it's warmer than five degrees outside. (laughs) That's where you can find him again. It's not that Jesus has moved. It's not Jesus left. It's you. Jesus is right where he belongs. But in the story of Joseph and Mary, they were the ones who left. And so where do they go to find him? They go back where he was. They go back where Jesus belongs. In uh, the book of Psalms, and we read... Psalm 73 uh, this morning. Um, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire except you. That Jesus is the number one priority. He's the most important thing. Uh, the book of Psalms really begins, though, in Psalm 1. Uh, if you have your Bible, flip there with me real quick. Because I want you to see, in this hope of finding Jesus, uh, if, if life is feeling a little dry for you today, where he can be found. As you're turning there, I, I like to tell you about my Christmas tree. Um, my family and I have the tradition of going out in the woods and killing a tree. That's what we do for Christmas. We cut one down and they always end up larger in the house than they did outside. Anybody with me there? Yeah, barely fitting in. Uh, but here's the amazing thing that's happening to my tree right now. I'm not sure why, but it's naked. All of its needles are falling off. All of its needles are falling off. I mean, the furnace will come on and just a little slight breeze and you hear ding, 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 all the needles. I got this naked tree with ornaments sitting in the house. Uh, Psalm 1. Are you there with me? Right at the beginning of the book. Look what it says. Blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. If you want to encapsulate what that means is you're not overcome by the world. The worries of life are not number one in your uh, priority in your life. But look at verse 2. But his delight is in the law 
of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Where can God be found? Right in his word. The psalmist gives us a picture then of what that looks like. Look at verse 3. He's like a tree planted by streams of water. That, that may be the problem with my tree. Right? It's not planted anymore. Right? It's got this tiny little cup to, to drink from. Right? And that I've neglected too. Anyone else with me there? That's probably the problem with my tree. So if you want to be a healthy tree, if you want to, you want to be strong, you, you be planted by streams of water. That's where you belong. You don't get cut down and brought indoors. That's a metaphor for what it looks like to be the person who roots yourself in God's word. You root yourself in it. The roots, they go down deep into God's word. It's like a stream of water that will bring life to you. Look what it says in verse 3. Yields fruit in season. Leaf does not wither. Whatever he does, he prospers. So as we can see, uh, turning back to Luke in the story of Mary and Joseph losing Jesus, where'd they find him? It's back where he was. And so if for you, there's a time, and maybe it is for you right now, that's just a, a distance from God, uh, go back to where you found him before. Thirdly, is this genuine faith in Jesus means adoption into a new family? Uh, it's, it's too easy for uh, American Christians to think they have faith when really they don't at all. How is it that you can tell if you're a genuine Christian? Well, it's because you have a devotion to a different family. You were born into a family. We all have moms and dads, brothers and sisters. But when you come to Christ, you're adopted into a new family. Unless your earthly family as a whole follows in kind, in faith. Meaning that you come from a line of Christians and you all are devoted to Jesus Christ. If that's not true for you, then you will find a sense of competition between your earthly family and your heavenly family. There will be strife that exists. Because your earthly family will recognize that you now have a devotion greater than it is to them. You now have a priority beyond blood. You now belong to a new family. This we see in Jesus' response. Why were you searching for me? I was at home. No, you weren't at home. I, we were traveling. You knew we were going home. What are you talking about? Uh, that's my translation right here of verse 50. Look what verse 50 says. After Jesus says, didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? 50 says, they didn't understand. They didn't understand. They didn't get it. They didn't understand that Jesus was saying that there is a family devotion that is greater than an earthly family relationship. And that he was in his true home. He was in his father's house. You can imagine how offensive that might sound. You can imagine how that might feel to a father, to a mother. In fact, that's part of what the text records for us. Why have you treated us like this? They were offended at this. And the conclusion and the point we need to recognize that if you have genuine faith in Jesus, you have been adopted into a new family. Which is, look around you, that's us. That's the church. There's a problem with that. We're still sinners. That's the problem. How many of you love everyone in your family? You liars. You're all lying in church right now. Yeah. Look, I know all oh, you love them, but you might not like them, right? I mean, that's how it goes, right? Because you're stuck with sinners, right? That's what happens. How many of you like everyone in church right now? 
that, see, you're more honest about that one. Yeah, yeah. See, the, the, the difficulty with family is it's filled with sinners. And we've all been redeemed. So whatever level you want to claim grace from Jesus Christ, the grace of God, guess what you got to do? you got to extend that to the person sitting across from you. You do. Because you belong to a new family. The most accurate description that you can call one another at church is brother and sister. And that's what we are. We're a family. So if you have genuine faith, you've been adopted into a new family, that was a problem for them. Lastly is this. Uh, you can know about Jesus and still not know Jesus. That's where I want to get back to this question. What is the most important thing for you? Because it is possible for you, know, for you to know a lot about Jesus. You, you could give us all the answers, all of the... All the stories in the Bible, I've memorized these, I've known them since I was a child. You remember the rich young man comes to Jesus and says, What must I do to inherit eternal life? He says, You've read the law, what does it say? Well, love the Lord your God, obey the commands. He said, I've done this. My whole life I've done this. One thing you lack, go sell all that you have. Then come follow me. He went away sad because Jesus was not the number one priority in his life. He knew about Jesus. I know, I know about him, but you don't know him. This is a question that you have to answer in your life. Where does he fall in the level of priority for things that are most important to you? For Jesus, the thing that was most important was glorifying his father. And he was ready to learn. And he was ready to listen. And he was anxious to ask questions. Because Jesus knew that God was the most important thing. He is our example, and now he is the one that must be for us the most important thing. So how are you doing with that? Make sure that for you, Christianity isn't a thing that you're adding to your life one day a week, going to church. It's not enough. It's not going to cut it. It's possible to know about Jesus and not know him. And we see this reflected in our text today as they don't understand and they don't see it. They knew Jesus. They knew all kinds of things about Jesus, but they didn't know him as Messiah. They didn't know it yet couple of applications for us as we want to apply this into our life today. Firstly, well, just two questions. First is this, is Jesus where he should be in your life? Do you have him positioned where he should be? When I was in third grade, I should have been paying more attention in English and math. Wasn't, uh, wasn't prioritizing what I should have. Well, what about in our Christian lives? Is Jesus prioritized where he should be? And secondly, are you where you should be? Does your life follow after the pattern of your priorities? For if Jesus is your priority, but you're not living like it, then guess what you are? You're a liar is what you are. If you claim to know him, but you don't walk as Jesus did, if you don't live your life, if you're not where you should be, guess who you're fooling? You. You're just fooling yourself. The continual challenge for us is to ask, am I where I should be? Am I where I belong? The decisions that we make as parents, the decisions that we make as Christ followers, they have an influence in our life. And you will leave a legacy someday. You will. What will that look like? It will be determined based upon your priority of the position of Jesus in your life. And with that in mind, I'd like to just conclude with this short clip. It's a song, and it's uh, one that comes from um, 
uh, Ruth Graham, Billy Graham's uh, wife's funeral. Uh, I, I want you to watch it with a prayerful heart, asking these questions. Where is Jesus in your life and where are you? Are you where you should be? Give me Jesus. 
life can draw you away. If you feel lost, if you feel like there's other things occupying your attention, your time, go back to where you found them before. Remember, it's possible to know a lot about Jesus and still not know him. And make sure that you understand the legacy that you leave in this world is one that will be determined by the answer to the question, what is the most important thing in your life? Can you say the words of that song? You can have all this world. Just give me what? Jesus. Jesus. Amen. Let's pray this morning.